Welcome to the Boom Boom Performance Podcast, your resource for science-based training and nutrition, data-driven coaching, and education-focused content. Before we get into this podcast, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to listen and learn with me so that you can apply what you are about to learn, take my strategies, use these tools, and finally have some serious methods to see sustainable success with your physique, your mind, and your life. This podcast was built on the foundation of applied education, and I'm excited for you to be here so you can have that experience with me. Now, without any further ado, let's get on to the show. Today, we have a jam-packed Q&A. I tried to do this rapid-fire style. Um, We got to the rapid-fires at the end because you guys know I like to rant and kind of go into detail. But we are literally going to cover – I think everything was training and nutrition day. So it's a ton of training and nutrition information. I know you guys are going to like it. I'm going to cut straight to the point and just let you guys know that I want to give a big shout-out to our sponsor, Top Notch Nutrition. Head over to topnotchnutrition.com slash boom boom or click the link in the description of this podcast, the show notes. You can get a 10 to 15% discount on your purchase. I also want to shout out our other sponsor, Creapure, which is the purest creatine that you can get on the market. Head over to creapure.com to see what supplement brands are actually using Creapure to make sure that the creatine monohydrate you are taking is legit. It's qualified. It is the best that you can take in source. Um, and last but not least, guys, if you enjoy this podcast, do me two huge favors. Number one, share this with a friend. Send it to anybody who could benefit from the information in this podcast because we want to reach more people and help more lives around the world. And the second thing is to take a screenshot of this episode. Head over to Instagram and post it on your story and tag myself at cody.boomboom so I can see it, I can thank you for listening, and I can share it on mine as well. Without any further ado, let's jump into the questions. All right, uh, another Q&A podcast. All right, the uh, first question is from Melissa RZ. Uh, I was maintaining my weight for about six months at 2,500 calories. I dropped to 2,050 per day and the scale has gone up one pound. I weigh all my food and do not cheat at all. I've been extremely stressed. There we go. I've been extremely stressed, and I'm wondering if this is why I'm not losing at this uh, deficit. I'm so hungry. Some days I get a headache. I added a couple of runs to my training per week. Otherwise, training is the same. I do Alexia Clark five days per week. I get 13,000 steps per day on average. I'm so frustrated and would appreciate any advice you have. I don't know who Alexia Clark is, but um, if you're training that often, you're doing that much activity. Uh, I mean, you you said it like you're like bingo. They yeah. she answered her own question. Super stressed, super hungry. I mean, huge red flags, mm-hmm. right? Huge signs right in front of you saying, "Get out of a deficit." Um, I personally believe you might not even actually be in a deficit because a lot of times people have a big maintenance range. Um, I've seen this more so, and this is completely just anecdotal. There's no science backs up. I've seen this more so with people who have a lot of history of like chronic dieting in the past. They tend to have this big range of maintenance. Yeah. So it's basically like, okay, I went into a, she basically went into a 400, 450 calorie deficit and she's still not losing weight. Your maintenance range might be 600 calories. You might just need to pull 100 more calories and then you'll start losing weight at a steady pace. You really never know. Um, that's just, you need to get out of that threshold. So your body can actually, uh, like change and adjust versus adapting because it's still within that window. Um, but the other side of it is, is it very well could just be stressed. There's, I've even had situations where, um, like what I would do is to test the stress hypothesis is like one, take a diet break. If you take a diet break and you lose weight after the diet break, hundred percent, it was stress. Um, you were probably losing weight and your stress was so high that your cortisol was elevated. And when cortisol goes up, you retain more water. So the water retention from cortisol could be just masking the weight that you actually lost. So you might've lost a couple pounds, but the scale didn't change because you're retaining a couple pounds of water because you're so stressed out. Yeah. So you take a diet break, it drops that cortisol, you flush out a bunch of water after a few days and then you lose some weight. But then lo and behold, stress kind of creeps up again and it's just kind of a vicious cycle. So even if you do this diet break and it does cure that temporarily, you still have to go back to the culprit of like, what is stressing me out? Um, and it could be anything. Is it, was it work? Is it relationships? Is it physical fitness? Is it just your diet is just too aggressive right now? Um, is it COVID-19? Like what is it that's causing you stress? Remove that yeah. or learn how to cope with it. You can't remove COVID-19. It's here to stay. I mean, I shouldn't say it like that. It's, I mean, we'll get back to normal eventually, but yeah. there's nothing I can do right now to remove that stress. 
it is present. Yeah. So how do I increase my capacity to handle that? What do I, what can I do to control other things to distract me from that stress? Um, first and foremost, turn off the iPhone news notifications and stop following CNN on Instagram. Big hint for anybody who's been stressed out about COVID, like just stop reading the shit. Um, I mean, obviously you got to stay in the loop somewhat, but I don't know about you, but I've just been not even yeah. tuning into it. Cause I'm like, it just, it just stresses. I know me what out. it is. I like, know what it is. Yeah. I'll know when it's done. Yeah. <laughs> Until then, like I'm going to let the, the CDC or whatever it is handle it. Um, but that being said, I think, I think it's probably stress. I mean, you could have a really big maintenance window, so you might need to go a little bit lower, but you'd still need to incorporate diet breaks if you plan on going lower. This is why I'm a much bigger fan of taking people into a pretty aggressive diet. I mean, there's there's argument to go either way. I think it's really dependent on the person. Um, I have a guy I can think of off the top of my head, Sean, who has been crushing it for like over six months, and it's been a very just small deficit. Let's just coast. And it's every week, lost pound. Lost two pounds, lost a pound, lost two pounds. And it's just like consistent. He's just crushing it. He's down quite a bit. Um, I mean like massive difference in his in his body. It's crazy. But with him, an, an aggressive approach wasn't the best route. It was a small approach so he could sustain it and we're just going to coast for, you know, six to eight months of yeah. just losing weight, taking very few diet breaks because we're not taking a super aggressive approach. For other people like this, I, I actually like taking a really aggressive approach. Like, I mean, chopping like 15 to 25% of calories, which is a big chunk of your calories out. And then taking more frequent diet breaks every other week or every two weeks or every seven days, like quite a bit. And uh, that usually helps because I can take such an aggressive approach that there's no way in hell you're not going to lose weight. Yeah. Even if you are stressed and like water retention is masking some of it, you're still going to see some because you're losing a ton. For sure, yeah. Um, and then we give you more breaks. But – I think in a situation where, and we talked about this recently on a podcast, if your ducks aren't in a row before starting a diet, you should not start a diet. Stress, There's a time sleep, and place. There's a time and place. Stress, yeah. sleep, health, um, life. Like, what's going on in your life right now? Do you have the time and effort and energy to go through a diet? You know, like, I can think of, like, a, a client that I had that is in the, I don't know exact like, what her exact role, but she's in the hospital, like, the medical system, right? Mm -hmm. She That's what she does for a living. Obviously, a stressful time for her right now because work is busy and she's go, go, go. This is not the time to diet. Like, yeah. Let's go back to maintenance. Don't worry about how much weight you lose. Let's just try to eat to like manage your stress you know, and allow you to have some energy to get through work and maybe get a workout in when you can. Um, and then we'll return to the diet when you're ready. I don't know. Like, I think people get too – got to get it done now. Got to yeah. go, got to go, got to go. It's like it takes time. Yeah. People don't want to take that time. Yeah. I think it's – I think it's important. I think like even for me, like I get anxious sometimes because I like changing things up and yeah. trying new things. But I was like, nope, I committed one full fucking year of just grinding, just grinding, just bodybuilding and eating a bunch of food. Like yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to gain as much as I can. And a year is a long fucking time. But I'm already thinking like, OK, after this year is done, what am I going to do when we go into a cut? And then after that, how am I going to sustain a level of leanness and muscle mass that I, I just enjoy? And I'm just going to focus on performance because I have more fun with more dynamic training and uh, doing sprints and jumps and throws and, and having a conditioning day and full body. Yeah. That's not the most advantageous for me to build muscle right now. It's not going to give me the best result. So I'm already thinking like, okay, if I spend this season of my life just building and focusing on this like just monotonous bodybuilding and then after that, we'll go into a cut and we'll use bodybuilding to maintain muscle. And then after that, I'm going to go into maintenance and I'm going to maintain a lean physique and focus on athleticism. What is that going to look like? And I can kind of change the – but it's these seasons, you know? Like what season of life are you in right now? And what's the best thing fit for you? Um, but, yeah, I think that's – I mean the best thing to answer that exact question is just you – one, probably – it's probably stress. Yeah. I mean you came out the gates with that. So it's probably a, a matter of getting your stress in check and then uh, – and then, yeah, getting your ducks in a row. Just yeah. getting healthy. Plain and simple. For sure. There's no need to rush. Like, what do you – last thing I'll say. What, yeah. do you, what are you training for? What? What are you training for? Uh, I don't know. Life. Yeah. <laughs> so why are you in such a hurry? That's what I never got. Like, if you have a race or a competition or maybe even you have a wedding and you want to lose – okay, I get it. There's, you know, some pressure on it. Or if you're a competitive bodybuilder, there's always deadlines. But if you're just somebody who is a fitness enthusiast or you just want to get better, you just want to get stronger, you want to look better and feel more confident, what is the rush? Like you're really just training for a better life. So why not train and diet for a life that is better and sustainable? Yeah. 
You know what I mean? Take your time, get there on your own pace so that you can actually sustain it. Yeah. There's a lot more um, aspects in that to improve your life than just dieting or training. hundred percent. Prioritize those. Yeah. And, and it's okay to have some vain goals. I mean, like you asked me, like, is your life going to be that much better if you're just super swole? I don't know, but I really want to get jacked as fuck. Like yeah. <laughs> it's, there's not like, well, what's that going to do for you? I don't know. Like I will just feel more powerful. I will feel good. Like, I don't know. Stronger. I'll feel stronger. Like period. Yeah. But I also know like if you, if, and this is why I started thinking about these seasons in my own journey is like, I started digging deeper and deeper and deeper. And ultimately I do want to be jacked and lean everything, but I ultimately want to like move well, live long, be super healthy, be athletic, like be dynamic. And I have to like break that up into chunks. So I have to start by building a foundation of more muscle. Like I needed to build more muscle and get bigger. And then after that, I need to get to a level of leanness that is really lean, but sustainable. And then after that, I need to improve my movement, my mobility, those kind of things. But I need to build that base first. Yeah. So it's like taking it step by step because it was more than just like, I just want to be huge. At first it was like, yeah, I just want to get huge. I've always wanted to get huge. And then I started thinking about like, what do I really want for my life? Like long-term. You know what I mean? Like when Blakely's seven and she wants to go play soccer, like I want to be able to like outrun her. You know what I mean? And keep going and going and going. I hope um, you can outrun a seven-year-old girl. <laughs> I know. Me too. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, man. no. I, I, I would I love to. Understand. Um, you you act like it's like unachievable. Like, man, I hope I can do that. Well, I mean, <laughs> but like you know, I, I lift six days a week. So can I lift six days a week, run a business, and run on the soccer field for two hours with her nonstop? That's that's where it's like okay, yeah. starting to get tired. You know yeah. what I mean, and be home to do yard work. I thought you meant just in general be faster than a seven year old. I will girl. definitely be yes. faster than Blakely, and she's seven. <laughs> if I'm not, she's going to the Olympics. Yeah, max. <laughs> <laughs> or I tore my meniscus again. Oh, Dude, Chad, never mind. What? Chad Johnson, Chad Ocho singer. Oh yeah, yeah. His daughter is like one of the fastest girls in the U.S. Really? Oh yeah. How old is she? Uh, less than ten, I think. Maybe Damn. ten now. Maybe she, I mean I don't like keep she's track the fastest her. for her age. Oh, absolutely. Like or like period on the Olympic. Like damn. Well, I mean I can't say Olympic team because she's young, but she does trials and like records. She's gonna like, be in the Olympics. Absolutely. Damn, that's crazy. Yeah. Some Any, of those some of those people just have genetics. Like oh, they're just, dude, it's she's insane. Bo- she's born to run. She's like on the tread on the treadmill going fast with her dad. Like I was like, damn. Yeah, it's dope. All right. Um. All right. Next question is. I I don't even know if it's I-L or I-I or L-L, but Isby, we're going to call it Isby. Oh, those, those were two L's. Lisby. There you go. That's probably it. That it. Yeah. How do you disassociate the weight you see on the scale as part of your self-worth? I've been trying to weigh myself every day to try to just get comfortable with seeing the weight as a, just a number, but that has not really helped. I'm not sure what the question is. Oh, how do you disassociate the weight you see on the scale as part of your self-worth? Just looking to have a donut once in a while and not feel guilty about it, I guess. Um, I I mean, there's there's I have a lot of thoughts on this. One thing I Go. will say is <laughs> that I don't think cheat days are good because it can turn into a bad thing. But I think having a day where you allow more flexibility in your diet is smart. So you still track. You still have that. But that's your day where you're like, you know what? I am going to have a donut. I'm going to fit it in. I'm going to intermittent fast or I'm going to cut some calories out tomorrow. Like be flexible. Have that one day. You can't do that every day. You're not going to get your results. What? But you should have one day a week. That's Saturday for me, right? Like Sundays I usually eat way less because oftentimes I go a little bit over my calories on Saturday. Not by a ton. So I shouldn't say way less. But I usually pull back a little bit on Sunday because me and Shannon do a special dinner every Saturday. So I, that's my day where I'm like, you know what? Whatever she wants me to cook or whatever she wants to cook. I'm just going to eat it, and I'm going to make it fit. And if it doesn't fit, I'm going to pull calories tomorrow. Um, And that helps the sustainability. But I do not ever weigh myself on Sunday because I will be at least three pounds heavier from just having a bunch of pasta in my stomach or retaining a bunch of water and having some wine, which makes me inflame and swell up, which is crazy, dude. Like, I don't know if this is, like, something that happens as you get older. Dude, I'll drink. Like, after that night you guys left, my ankles were huge, like busting out of my socks. I was like, why are my ankles so swollen? I mean, I, I did drink like a full bottle but of wine, but I've never had that issue. But point being, when I wake up in the morning, scale will be heavier, right? Yeah. 
right now I don't really give a shit because I'm trying to gain weight and I just know it'll come right back down. But when you're cutting, those fluctuations are even bigger. Yeah. So it's kind of scary because you're trying to lose weight. Um, so have that day of week where you do allow yourself some flexibility and do not weigh one to two days after. Just don't. Weigh yourself five days a week and it's the other five days. What's the difference between having one one day where you have a little bit of off course or whatever you want to call it opposed to minimizing that consumption to like one little thing and spreading it out every day. If you hit total calories, nothing, yeah. there's no difference. I just how think much, how many calories are in a donut? Yeah. Well, so this is what, this is where I was going to go with that. I think the problem with that is, is in order to be able to like have a diet that is giving you all the vitamins and minerals you need, you're getting enough protein, you're getting enough fiber, you're, you're staying full and to have that flexibility regularly, you would have to cut that donut into fours. Hmm. Like have a quarter of a donut. Because a donut, I mean, most donuts are, let's like a thousand calories. There's a ton of sugar and fat inside Absolutely. of a donut. So instead of me going, I'm going to have a quarter of a donut, which is never going to happen because people will end up eating more and then they whole, that whole thing goes out the window. They should have one day where like, you know, I am going to have a donut. I don't care. And you fit it in and you pull back the next day or whatever and you're good. Yeah. I just think it works better. And then you don't get in the habit of eating bad food every day. Now, I think where the flexibility comes into play is wearing like you're eating like a really healthy meal of like veggies and like grilled chicken and, and rice, whatever, and you want some fucking barbecue sauce on it. And that barbecue sauce has processed sugar and you're like, this isn't the healthiest thing, but it's it's 10 grams of carbs that I'm willing to sacrifice so I can have some good barbecue sauce. Do that every day. Yeah. You know, that's totally fine. But it's easy to have a little serving of barbecue sauce. And not the whole bottle. Yeah. It's hard to have a quarter of a donut and not the whole donut. For sure. So I think that's why you segregate it like that. Now, But a donut is way better than, bar- than barbecue sauce. 100%. You know what I mean? It's, it's yeah. the, but I mean like – The craving. Like if you look at like it's processed sugar, like I mean – Yeah. You know, it's equal in that sense. I mean there's more fat in donuts obviously. But um, I also think that, you know, weighing yourself daily is good for some, bad for others. I find it good for most people because it educates you on how your weight's going to fluctuate. Your weight is very – I had somebody weigh in this week and I don't know if it was her exact weight. But it was basically like let's say like 145.2 every single day. And I was like that wasn't – you didn't actually weigh in every day, did you? It's like no. My scale literally said 0.2 every day. It was weird. It's like is it broken? <laughs> like, I almost said that, yeah. The fuck – and it wasn't. Yeah. She waited in Monday and it was different. But I was like, that's wild. I've never seen that in my life. Um, but I think like learning the fluctuations. Um, yesterday I was 176.6. This morning I was 177.8. It's a 1.2 pound fluctuation in a single day. Yeah. But that's also why like I will have – my weight will go anywhere between like one – I'm not seeing 175 anymore. I was. But like so like 176 to 178. Like two-pound fluctuation every day. It's just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Depending on my sleep, my stress levels, what I ate the night before, how much salt I decided to put on my dinner, all those things. And then uh, by the end of the week, I can calculate my average and I realize, oh, my average is, is only increasing by a quarter of a pound every week. Right, but I wouldn't know that because I'm like having two pound fluctuations. But if I look at my average week after week, it's literally just like slowly inching up. And that's why it's it's like a good lean gaining approach. So for weight loss, it's the same thing in reverse. You're gonna see up and down, up and down, up and down. But your weekly is going to go slowly trending downward, like 0.5 to 1 percent of body weight per week, which is usually about like anywhere between a half a pound to two pounds a week for most people. Um, so I think like understanding if you're weighing yourself daily make sure that you're also taking your averages and you're looking at your averages so a lot of people do this and they don't have like a, a like some kind of data tracking Formula. like we do where we can go yeah you're fluctuating a lot but like look, zoom out and yeah. then you zoom out and you see all the weeks for the past 12 weeks and you can see the trend you're like oh okay well fuck the fluctuations yeah. like i'm trending down um so i would say like look at the bigger picture if if the daily weigh-ins are stressing you out make sure you're taking the averages um, and then I think like, it, then it comes down to a lot of like deep emotional games of like, if you are attaching your self-worth to a number on a scale, you haven't determined what your actual self-worth is yet because that's even like, like, that's like you attaching your self-worth to a single podcast, right? That's, that's part of your job. It's part of what you do is create videos. But your identity, your like you as a human, isn't 
determined by one fucking video, just like hers isn't determined by one weigh-in of a scale. Yeah. Um, and I would even say like that's not even a good analogy because you could in a healthy way attach your identity to some of this stuff because that is your creative passion. Mm-hmm. Scale's not going to – that's not your creative passion weighing you in. You have like, no control. Well, you do, but yeah. but still you have no control over fluctuations sometimes. Yeah, there you go. Um. So I think you have to determine what your self-worth is, you know, like, uh, I think like this is something that I even had to do not too long ago of like, who am I? Because which sounds crazy, but I mean, before, like w- once I started a business, I became an entrepreneur. Then I started a family. I became a dad and I became a husband and you start like, like, who am I? Like I have these different hats and like, yeah, this is what I do, but like, what am I here for? What am I giving? What value am I providing to people? Like what is, what is my self worth to me in, in like to the others that love me around me. Right. And like kind of going down that like deep emotional path, I think is probably the best thing for it to do because otherwise, if you don't start trying to discover what your self worth is to you um, or what being worthy quote unquote even means to you, I don't think that you're ever going to get away from that because you're attaching it to something else. Mm -hmm. You know, Um, I think for me, it was, we talked about this on the last podcast, like really trying to discover that impossible game and like my potential started allowing me to, to appreciate where I am and what I do and who I am for others and, and started really kind of, and that's even motivated me to be a better dad because I attached myself to being such an entrepreneur that I was like, well, wait, like I'm a dad. Like that's a really like huge, important part of who I am as a man and I need to put more focus there, you know? Um, so I'm not, a, I'm not a psychologist or a therapist, so I can't give you the best information here. Uh, but I think, I think you need to do some soul searching and some deep thinking on what being worthy quote unquote is and why you attach your self-worth to a scale. You got to find your self-worth elsewhere, um, and really truly meaningful things so that you can disassociate that. Touche. You know? That's there's, great. There's yeah. no, there's no hack. There's no like journal practice I can give you. All right, so next question comes from Lauren Hancock. Uh, I have been working out eight to time, eight to ten times a week for five weeks now. I have been keeping my calories around eighteen hundred a day and have lost only two pounds, and that was just this week. Isn't that a lot for a week? I mean, eight to ten times. Is that what you're saying a lot? No, two pounds. Yeah, that's a good amount. Yep. And that was just this week. I am five foot four inches and currently weigh one thirty nine. I am still pumping, breastfeeding my my daughter. So my question is: Is it possible I am not consuming enough calories? Is she trying to lose weight? I mean, first of all, you're training eight to ten times a week. That means Couple. no matter what, you're training two a days. Because there's not eight to ten days in a week. Bro, there's se- seven days a week. Times two is fourteen times. She said she's training eight to ten times a week, right? Yeah, so it's not no matter what. That's only like four days a week, dude, two days. Still. Like, that's what I'm saying. No matter what, you're doing some two-a-days. Some. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah, I didn't mean every day. Oh. <laughs> like, but um, no matter what, you're doing some two-a-days. I, th- I don't think she re- uh, mentions like the goal. Like I've been working out eight to ten times a week for five weeks. Now I, I have been keeping my calories 1,800 a day and have lost only, have lost only two – have lost only two pounds and that was just this week i gotta imagine that she is trying to lose weight if she said i only lost two pounds there you she go. said she'd be doing it for five weeks and she just finally lost two weeks two pounds so here's my my thing one one of two things could happen you could have started and you weren't losing weight so you started adding more and more activity and now it's starting to catch up i wouldn't recommend that um i also wouldn't recommend trying to lose a bunch of weight while breastfeeding unless you have a good amount of weight to lose which it doesn't sound like she's 139 no. yeah it doesn't sound like she's a big person at all um, you want to make sure that you are healthy and you're focusing on, on your daughter. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, focus on weight loss when you're done breastfeeding. Uh, but I think number one, eight to 10 times a week is probably unnecessary unless you're the only time I think two a days are necessary at all is a, if, if one of the sessions is like low intensity, like you're going on a 30 minute walk and it's for fat loss or health purposes, or B, you're an athlete and you have to separate them for uh, competitive reasons. So for some CrossFit athletes, they'll do like their aerobics or so like rowing and, and running and stuff like that in the morning. And they'll do lifting at night because they perform better in both if they separate it. But they're doing it to enhance performance for competition. Yeah. They're going and competing. Um, so I probably wouldn't be training that much. You're probably 
stressing the body out a little bit too much. Um, I don't think, like she said, am I eating too little? If you're trying to lose weight and you've only lost two pounds and it's been eight weeks, then no. You're, I mean, you need a bigger deficit, if anything. However, I think going into a bigger deficit is unhealthy uh, to do while you're trying to breastfeed. Exactly. So I would be totally okay with two pounds in five weeks if I was breastfeeding because that's a more sustainable pace that you can she, keep yourself eating. Enough. She says, so my question is, is it possible I am not consuming enough? So that means eat more. Yeah, but I think uh, I think the way she framed the question made it sound like, do I need to eat more to lose weight? Because you know how some Correct. people are like, am yep. I undereating and that's yep. why I'm not yep. losing yep. weight? Maybe, but like most likely you're just not, I mean, you're only 139 pounds, you're eating 1800 calories. It's not really low. Like, so I think that if you wanted to lose more weight, you'd probably need a bigger deficit, which I don't know if I'd recommend because you're breastfeeding. Um, but I definitely would tone down the exercise. I think that's quite a bit. Um, but again, I don't know. She actually, there was more to the question. I just took it out because it it didn't really apply, but she said she, it was actually kind of funny because maybe she lives around here, but she said, uh, I've been, I think the name was Rebecca. Becca Lauren is that her name Lauren Hancock yeah so I think she said that I've been training for five five weeks with Rebecca from Rebel Fitness and I was like okay delete it but shout out to Rebecca from Rebel Fitness you get a shout out now but I was kind of like it's irrelevant but maybe maybe she thought I knew because it maybe it's a local gym I have no idea I've never heard of Rebel Fitness um but I, uh, but yeah, I don't think you're under eating and that's why you're not losing. You probably need a bigger deficit if you want to lose more, but I don't know if I'd recommend it given that you are breastfeeding. Yeah. Renton. Is it? Yeah. Oh, maybe I do. I used to live in Renton. All right. Uh, that's a good answer, man. Um, Ryan Liu is the next question. Keep it simple. Ryan Liu. Uh, what is your recommendations for nutrition for marathon training T dash six months, three month rate, three month. Wait, hold on. Training T. I don't even know how to T six month. T T minus six month, three month and race time to maximize performance and increase recovery. In addition, what is your recommendation for strength training when it comes to program prioritization? Yeah. (laughs) Around those. Uh, mesocycles hip hip hop hip hop anonymous <laughs> great movie um i would not have gotten that t minus you got to spell out t minus for yeah. me to like really know what you're talking about i thought it was like t dash t yeah t six months Is that like a strategy i'm unfamiliar with okay so how first question how would i approach nutrition uh for a marathon runner t minus six months three months so like basically when you're six months out or when you're there we out. go yes and race time. And race time. Um, I think Teamwork. it doesn't need to change as much as people think. So basically, you look at season. So you go, okay, I'm in season. I'm starting to train for this race. Um, six months. Six months. Okay. If I'm six months out and that's when my training starts, cool. I'm going to start running. I need to fuel my body, so I'm going to probably increase. Some people can get away with like high-fat approaches because they get, get into ketosis when they're running stuff. I don't agree with it. Um, I think it's subpar. And a lot of the people that do that, they end up uh, basically going like carnivore or keto. Like the one of the, the best – he actually just set a record in quarantine. Uh, the fastest 100-mile run on a treadmill. 100 miles. That sounds boring. So fucking boring. <laughs> I can watch the whole Seinfeld series with that. 100 miles? Yeah. Actually, no. He And he did it. 100 miles. Guess how, guess how much his per mile time was? Eight minutes? Seven minutes in like 14 seconds. Damn. I can barely run a mile. Yeah. A hundred? Wow. How can you even run a hundred without your feet falling off? So, yeah, whoa, whoa, whoa. hundred miles. Are you sure you didn't take a break? 100% positive. He's done it before. He was the first one to do it on a treadmill. He's run multiple hundred-mile races. Yeah, where they don't stop. And a van, like, pulls up and gives you, like, a banana and some water, and you just keep running. But my point being with (laughs) – his name's fucking Jake something. I have to look it up. Joe Rogan interviewed him on his podcast. Damn. Twice. He's been on there twice. Really, really crazy. But he I'm pretty sure he's carnivore now. But what he does is right before the races, he'll take like glucose solution. So just pure carbohydrate. So you can't even say like, oh, he's a low carb athlete. It's like, yeah, but he's utilizing carbohydrates as soon as performance hits. He just feels better normally without it. Um, so you're still using carbs. My point with this is I would probably approach it of like driving carbs up, driving fats relatively low, like basically 
to maintenance. Like you don't need to have a surplus of fats, but you're probably going to want to push into a surplus of carbs. And then I'm just going to keep it there Uh, unless performance dips or like as let's say you are approaching the meet. Um, I'm not, uh, I don't program design for endurance running, but my assumption would be that you, uh, kind of peak and then taper just like a powerlifting. So like, let's say your, uh, volume, how long you're running increases as you get closer. Cause you're getting your body more and more ready as you increase the length of your runs over the six months, you would probably want to increase carbohydrates with that because you're doing more. Killer. You need to feel more. Yeah. And then you probably taper off. I would leave carbs the same. So you just ultimately replenish all glycogen and feel good. And then when you hit your race, you're already ready. You've been doing it for six months. Your body's adapted to the fuel substrates that you're providing it, the amount of fuel you're providing it, and it's ready to go. Um, Then when you get done with that, if you're taking a break, you can lower carbs, bring fats up a little bit for some hormonal restoration, some recovery for your central nervous system, and you don't need as many carbs because you're not running a bunch right after a race because you're going to take a period of time off. For sure. Um, But I don't think that there's like these big changes that you would make within the three to six-month period. It's basically like, oh, we're in season. Let's bring carbs up until we find like your sweet spot, and then we're going to keep them there and just keep you fueled. And then it's more about like timing and finding the best foods that agree with you and stuff like that. Um, intra-workouts, carbohydrates, if you're going really long distances. Um, yeah. And then the second question was how would I structure strength training around it? Yeah. Um, it all depends on how often the person's running. You know, if somebody's running daily, which I don't recommend, then strength training is going to be very minimal, maybe a couple days a week. Um, if they're tra- running three days a week, I'll probably lift three days a week. And, uh, if they are running four, I might lift two. Um, sometimes depending on if it's a multi-sport athlete, like somebody who's doing like an Ironman or somebody who's like, Hey, uh, I'm a power lifter, but I'm going to do a marathon just for shits and giggles. We're not going to stop lifting because they're a power lifter, right? Or they like that aspect of training. So we might lift four days a week and then run four days a week. And so you're doing some two a days. uh, And it's just about making sure recovery is there. But training wise, I'm probably going to be way more focused on doing like, things that are really easy on your joints specifically, which again is different per person, yep. but really trying to decide like what exercises match your mechanics best in, because every time you run, so I think a, a mile is 1600 steps, uh, like tip for the average person, obviously a really small person is different than a big one. But, um, and I think that means basically you're, you're, let's say anywhere between 800 to a thousand steps per leg, essentially. And that means that's 800 to a thousand times your just hopping on your ankles and knees. Not really good for your joints and yeah. your hips. Like you're just grinding away at them. Um, that's why long distance running isn't the healthiest thing for your joints. Uh, but I would say like, okay, what can we do to make sure that we're not encouraging that? So a lot more like concentric and less eccentric, a lot like trying to get away with less loading if we can. Like why am I going to put a ton of weight on your exercises to stress the joint when I can still create maximal mechanical tension of the muscle without doing that? That's why I like the sled or salt bike because there's no eccentric. Um, I might go front squat instead of back squat so we can cut the load in half but still get as much tension on the quads as we need to. Um, I might do RDLs instead of heavy deadlifts because it's way less fatiguing because you can go lighter but you can still create a a big stretch on your hamstrings. Um, And it's just going to be like that, yeah, like just trying to balance kind of yin and yang the the amount of volume you're doing with running versus how much you ultimately need to do to just get by with training. And then making sure the exercises are suited for your body to not mess up your joints. Yeah. But it's hard for me to say, like, I would follow this program or this split, you know. Yeah. I have a question about the nutrition side that you, you mentioned something. Um, and I it might be a stupid answer. But you said bring carbs up mm-hmm. until you find a sweet spot. What, how do you find a sweet spot? Biofeedback. Okay. You know, like uh, well, even – even Elaborate. so this uh, I'll use myself as, as an example again, okay. like even for my gaining phase, like, okay, let's bring carbs up until we hit that spot where you're gaining at the right pace. And you can honestly say every week recovery's good. I'm progressing in my lifts, sleeping good. So what is it that, what is it that you see when it's like, all right, that's too much gaining weight. So like if a runner is, uh, we're increasing, we're increasing, we're increasing, uh, carbs. Yeah, but like if if we're increasing to a point where like they're maintaining weight and their performance is getting better and their biofeedback's great, why bring them up more? Like it's just like, well, if you're feeling great, then well, why not? Let's keep them there because if let's say I, I bring them up too high and we're going into too big of a surplus and they end up gaining weight, that weight's gonna slow them down. Yeah. So yeah. I'd rather be delicate with it Definitely. and make less changes o- over time. 
Um, but usually you're just tracking biofeedback. Okay. Let me, let's look at your performance. Let's look at your recovery. Let's look at your sleep. Let's look at your digestion. Um, let's look at everything and just make sure if you're, if everything's going well, we're in the right sweet spot. Let's just stay there. Let's gotcha. just keep going. Gotcha. Cool. All right. So next question is from Carmen Spitzer. How to activate and train the lat. I'm an Olympic weightlifter and can't use, can't use and feel my lat. How can I activate it? And what exercises are easy to do for someone who cannot feel their lat? Hmm. I think, uh, there's a few things I would practice like, uh, scapular elevation and depression. So you can do like, uh, overhead shrugs with a barbell. You can do like hanging from a bar and just literally just practicing yeah. depression, yeah. elevation, letting your lat stretch and then pulling your, cause now you're just teaching your scapula to do more than just one. You're probably trap dominant cause you're always doing high pulls with snatches and cleans cause you're an Olympic lifter. So you're probably trap dominant, which means that you're really good at elevating and retracting your scapula, but probably really poor at depressing it because that deactivates your traps. Yeah. Um, so I would work on that. I would probably add in some lat activation exercise on a very regular basis from different planes of motion. So like a good one is the tall kneeling pull in where you're pulling from lateral side and it allows you to do some like lateral flexion of your torso, which fires your lat as well. You're doing some um, like straight arm pull down. So you're coming in, in the frontal plane, pull, pulling down um, and then just regular rows, dragging your elbow low, just really just putting more volume towards your lats and slowing down and just trying to target them. Um, the only way to build the skill of activating them is to continually try to activate them. Yeah. So put more volume towards that. Uh, the other thing I would say is potentially do some like uh, soft tissue work on your traps because there's a lot of people that are so trap dominant that they hold their stress there. They hold their tension there. They, they overpower movements with their traps and then they end up doing everything like they shrug and they're like they do curls and they're they're basically doing bicep curls with their traps yeah they do Dang. dips with their traps they do rows with their traps like everything is just so trap dominant um and i know people that just like i, I know people personally who have just huge traps and it's like it looks kind of cool but you're like man your lats are probably dysfunctional um and for some people they just genetically just grow they're easier they have great lats too but um but i would say like uh trying to deactivate those by really working on soft tissue like digging in them getting a little cross ball in there um then doing the depression of your scapula and working your lats i think would help a lot yeah i love the hanging from the bar yeah i used to do that with you a lot and man it felt good yeah all right um next question it's from holland personal how long should you stick with the same program to continue in muscle hypertrophy or fat loss? Depends. Um, yeah, it depends. So we'll t attack fat loss first because it's easier. Um, for fat loss, I I believe you should stay with it as long as you cannot be bored. Because typically with fat loss, I'm putting you in a deficit. If we're on a program, you're probably not going to progressively overload week to week. Like I don't expect you to add load to the bar week after week when you're eating less food and you're going into a deficit, you know. My goal for you is, hey, let's maintain effort, enthusiasm, and as much of the load as we can yeah. in the gym. So if you bench 200 pounds for five, okay, cool. I want to keep you benching 200 pounds for five as long as I can during the diet. And it'll, it'll inch down a little bit, and that's fine. We're just going to try to maintain that. I don't want you to be – I don't expect you to hit 225 by the end of this program. You know what I mean? Like you're dieting. You're eating less. You're not going to grow. So we just want to try to maintain. But the other side of that is how long until you get bored. Like I know for me, after about three weeks, I typically like to switch programming just because I get kind of bored. So when I'm in a cut, I usually periodize for three-week blocks. Um, and, and my favorite way of doing that is like the conjugate style where we have the same compound lift over like a 12-week period – but we're changing our accessory work every three weeks and we're changing the percentages and reps that we're hitting on the compound every three weeks too. Mm. So we have all these three week blocks that we cycle and I use this with a lot of my guys. Um, I like that for fat loss cause it's enough volume to maintain strength and muscle and that's your main goal. And you, you can have more variety during the fat loss phase cause you're not trying to build. Now with hypertrophy, I would literally say stay with the program that's working as long as it is working. Um, I'll be completely transparent. I'm almost bored with my program now because it's, I'm on week a lot, 13 or 14 of yeah. the exact same program. I took <laughs> one week off as a deload, but I kept my split. I just kind of changed up exercise and went light on everything and volume. body weight and stuff like that. Drop volume. Um, but it's one of those things where it's like, 
I'm going to, I'm going to change the program. Why? You just added another 10 pounds to your bench press. Like I bench pressed more for five reps than I ever have in my life. Uh, on Monday bench is like my worst lift and I got 235 for four sets five which is like I've never done that and I'm like okay why would I change the program because I'm bored if I'm literally getting stronger than I've ever been and if you're stronger you're probably going to be able to lift more volume which is going to lead to more muscle growth yeah so I'd be dumb to change it which I think if you pay attention to the progressions it makes it easier to have fun with it because now I'm like yeah, I've been doing the same thing, but it's fucking working so well. Like I'm excited to do it. You know, yeah. I'm going to keep doing it. Uh, so I like keeping people on the same routine for quite a while. Typically what I do, because I know people do get bored in part of the art of coaching, like we talked about in the last podcast is, is really trying to make sure that it's not just about results, but it's yeah. about enjoying the process too and, and making sure that they're engaged. Adherence. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So what I like doing with somebody whose strict goal is, and I can think of a few people that I have doing this right now that are like, all I care about is just build a muscle. I usually rotate in six-week blocks. So we'll keep the same split for at least 12 weeks. Uh, so, for example, push-pull legs. We're going to stick with that for 12 weeks. We're probably going to keep the compounds for 12 weeks. So you might be doing uh, high bar squat, bench press, overhead press, and sumo deadlift, and then like some like chin-ups and lat pull-downs for your, uh, for your pull days. We're going to keep those for 12 weeks straight, and we're going to just kind of like linear progress, and I just want you to get stronger on those, and then your accessory work will change every six weeks. So we might be doing uh, a dip for six weeks straight, trying to progress volume or weight that we can do with added added weight to a dip, and then after six weeks, we might change that to like a variation of a tricep pushdown, right? We might go dumbbell skull crusher, so like uh, that's like an overhead extension. Uh, for six weeks. And then the second six weeks, we might go with a cable overhead extension. It's it's literally the same movement pattern in the same joint positioning. It's just stimulating your mind a little bit differently. Yep. Uh, but again, that goes back to the fact that like with hypertrophy, I actually think it's better to have minimal changes uh, versus a ton of changes because you want to be able to progressive overload is essentially the key to building muscle. Like you need to over time, slowly be able to do more reps with the weight you can do now or do more weight for the reps that you were doing. Yeah. So if I'm doing 200 pounds for uh, two th- 235 pounds for five, eventually I need to be able to do 245 for five or I need to be able to do 235 for six. Mm. I need to add reps or I need to add weight. That's the key to growth. The easiest way to do that is to keep things the same and slowly progress over time, not change it every week to where your body doesn't get used to the skill and able to progress on it. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, you, wa- you want to see progression. You want to see changes, but you don't want to be overwhelmed. Exactly. Like, yeah. So many parts are changing right now. I don't even know how to process it. But Well, there's a learning curve too. So if we look at a new program, week one, it's like, okay, let's learn these movements. Okay, now I'm doing uh, an offset dumbbell deficit lunge. So I have like one kettlebell up here, let's say, one dumbbell down here, and I'm doing a, a reverse lunge off of a plate. Week one, I'm trying to figure out how to do that fucking movement. Yeah. My body's rotating this way and this way. I'm stabilizing. I'm reverse lunging, trying to stay in a straight line. I'm trying to assess, like, how much weight should I actually use on this? I've never done it before. Week two, I'm like, okay, I'm a little bit more comfortable. I think I can go up, but I don't know what my maximum potential is. Week three, I'm like, all right, now I know what I'm doing. Let me add some load, and then I'm done. Yeah. New program. Hmm. Now, you know what I mean? Like, give myself another three weeks, and I'll be able to master that fucking movement and add some load to it and And then build from it. And then we'll talk about you. Exactly. (laughs) But that's why, like, during fat loss, that's not always my goal. Fat loss, I'm like, let's keep it exciting. Let's burn calories. Let's maintain muscle and strength, which can happen with more variation, which is why I like the three-week rotations on conjugate because it keeps it really exciting and fun For and sure. more dynamic. Um, because some people do have goals, too, of, like, yeah, I want you know, like, I want to get stronger. I want to lose fat. But I, I really also want to improve my movement ability. Like, I want to have more mobility. I want to have more range of motion. I want to feel better. I need more variety for that because yeah. I want to take your body through as many variations as I can to show, like show your body and teach your body how to move in different ways. So sometimes there is a reason for more variability. Um, but yeah, I think the, like the overarching theme, if I could sum it up in one line, it's, it's do the program as long as it works. Yeah. Don't change it if it's not broken. There you go. Love it. What is this an interesting question? All right. From Brienne Kilween. Oh, real quick. You're going <laughs> to laugh at this. This question? I had a dream last night. Nice. He moved out. Nice. I had a dream that our neighbor. <laughs> it was a dream. <laughs> I had a dream that he, and I like woke up happy. Yeah. Because we had no loud, obnoxious neighbor next to us. Yeah. Luckily, these are good. They can't hear it. But yeah. some days when I'm just working by myself on my computer and he's right there, I'm just like, dude, oh my God. And I turn on uh, like Screamo. <laughs> <laughs> I could easily wear headphones, but I'm not going to. Yeah. Unbelievable. But yeah, it was a good dream. 
Nice. Maybe I'll buy him out. Yeah, I won't. Dude. But that'd be cool. That'd be sick. Um, <laughs> never mind. You don't have dreams, so I'm just gonna I'm gonna say at the end of one of these podcasts we should talk about a, a, a memorable dream. Yeah, I don't remember most of my dreams. You know, you're actually not supposed to remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If that's what one of the sleep scientists said on the podcast, yeah, that we did, they said that if you get into deep sleep, there's stages of sleep, so you should basically go through a phase where you're not in deep sleep yet. In order to dream, you have to be in deep sleep. But in order to remember your dream, you have to awake up abruptly or you have to wake up before exiting that deep sleep. So to go through a full cycle of actual good sleep, you actually slowly go into deep sleep and then slowly come out of it. And that's what like healthy sleep is supposed to look like. Yeah. So at first I was like, man, I, I don't remember any dreams. And then I was like, oh, that's a good thing. I don't remember shit Damn. because I actually sleep through the cycles. Whoops. Yeah. Not you. <laughs> yeah. All right, so uh, this next question is from Brianne Kilween. When you get, I don't even, oh, when you get hate and when you get hate and live in a small town, do you ignore it or address it? Mm. Is that a nutrition question? I don't know. I don't have much experience with that one. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say we live in a big city, but definitely. I mean, Milton was a small town there for you sure. Go. Uh, but but I don't feel like I got like a bunch of hate. Like for what? No, I mean, I had people, like, say, like, they were going to unfollow me and shit that I grew up with because they were like, this is so annoying. Like, all he posts is fits and shit, you know? And I was like... You did? Oh, yeah. Multiple times. And I just would say, like, unfollow me. I don't care. Like, I'm building something. It's like, my whole mentality was like, someday it'll be something. And then I could think of a couple... I'm, I'm uh, just wondering why they why they told you and I just, just unfollowed you. Yeah, I don't know. I had one, somebody said their girlfriend did, and so the girlfriend didn't tell me, but they told me because they thought it was funny. I had a friend straight up tell me because he felt bad. He was like, dude, I, I unfollowed you because it's just annoying. Like, I'm sorry. Um, it's not so, for you then. Yeah, somebody you know uh, in the circle, uh, in the group text. <laughs> oh, touche. Um, and and I was like, okay, that's fine. Like, yeah. And he's a great supporter of mine, so I don't care. I'm yeah. just like, whatever. But like, I don't know. Like, I'm never... I mean, I can give you advice on what I'd do if I got hate from yeah. people. I'd, I'd say, one, if you're getting hate, I, I, if you're getting hate in the sense that I think of it, though. yeah, I was going to say, like, if you're getting hate in the sense that I'm thinking, you're doing something right. Because, I mean, we've, we've even had people DM us or comment and, like, try to talk shit on our stuff. And it's like, you're hating because we're helping people. Yeah. And you're not. And you're insecure about what you're doing. So if I can turn around and go, this person is hating on me because they are insecure about their lack of ambition. That's good. I mean, that's you're giving me a compliment right now. You know what I mean? Because I'm yeah. doing something that's triggering you because you're not doing it. Yeah. You're not doing it. And so you're pissed that I'm doing it. Yeah. Um, but if you're being a straight up asshole and people are hating you or getting mad at you because you're being an asshole, then that's a completely different story. That's not a good thing. So I think like you said, you have to de- determine what the hate is like assess. What kind of hate is this? Are you actually being a bad person or yeah. like mean or are you doing good things and people around you are not achieving the same level of success you are in whatever area, and that's why they're hating. Did they explain it in the question? No, that was the whole question. I think I would encourage this person to possibly elaborate on it, and there's probably some different things that you could think about or act upon to change that mm-hmm. or avoid. Maybe not avoid because people are going to be people, but I'm sure you could talk to them and – well, and explain more about what you would do in that specific situation. Yeah, 100% if I knew more. Yeah. But I'd also say, too, like a lot of it comes down to auditing your environment, you know, because yeah. if you look around, you're like, man, I'm constantly getting Can't hate. Al- I would be like, OK, well, like, who are you hanging out with? Where are you going to school? Where are you going to is work? Is this in-person hate or is this social media hate? 100%. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like sometimes social media, you just have to deal with it because yeah. it just happens. Um, I mean, it gets so bad you can block them. But yeah. Some people are getting. If you're getting that much hate, though, then on social media, you must be saying something pretty controversial. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or you have a million followers. Yeah. Because that's just inevitable. Exactly what but, I'm saying. Yeah. But and I think, at like. At that point, you can't block all of them. Yeah. But I also think, like, there's that whole crabs in the bucket thing. So, like, if you're young in your career and you're trying to do something and people are kind of giving you shit or hating, it's like, well, are. What are th- you doing? Yeah, exactly. But if they're not going to stop, then stop hanging out with them. Yeah. Yeah. Period. You know, it's just like dieting. People are like afraid to diet because they're worried about what people say. Yeah. I remember people giving me shit when I first started like trying to diet and like me and the boys would go out to eat and I'm getting like a salad and they're getting burgers and beer and they're like, give me shit. 
And, I'm just, and I literally would just, oh, I'm just, I'm really trying to lose weight. And it's like, oh, okay, man, good. Do you? Cool. Because, like, what do you, what is your actual friend going to say? Man, I, I really want to lose some weight. <laughs> I mean, I, I've, I've seen it before, like, and then they're like, that sucks. And you eat their burger. And then it's done. And then usually, you're right. yeah. They don't bring it back up. Yeah. Because they just accept it. Yeah. But if you feed into it, yeah. They're going to keep doing it. Yeah. But I feel like even if they're like a good friend, they're joking. Like, it's, there's no point to continuously make fun of you if you're trying to lose weight. Yeah. Like, there's no fun in it. Yeah. Like, and then I, they're not your friend. <laughs> yeah. I think if you're getting hate, enough hate to ask a question about it in a small town, you must ha- live in a really small town. Yeah. Or be doing really big things. Yeah. And if you're doing really big things. New York is small to me. (laughs) (laughs) You should check this person's follower account. What are they? What are they doing? Brianne Killing. All right. uh, Oh, man. All right. We got. Let's do one more. So handle it or address it was the question. I would say uh, address it in your own life by auditing. I guess. Do you ignore it or address it? Oh, I was like, wait, that's the same thing. Handle it or address it. (laughs) Um, Part of me says ignore it because. Haters going to hate. Depends. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, part of me says address it by removing those who hate. Yeah. You can't change the person, but you can change the person's involvement in your life. Touche. All right. Um, How many questions do we have left on that list? One, two, three, four. Okay. I can rapid fire them. <sighs> We're not. They're shorter ones from Instagram. I know it. I can do it. All right. What should you pr- – uh, uh, the question – the person is – Bapu Daibro. <laughs> what should you what should be purchased if you want to build out a home gym? Uh if money isn't an issue, I'm gonna go with a squat rack, barbell and plates, um, either adjustable dumbbells up to fifty, sixty, whatever they go, or if you can just get a dumbbell rack. I, I'm adjustable dumbbells are cool, but a dumbbell rack is so much better. Um it's big though, yeah. you know. So a squat rack with plates and a bar, a dumbbell rack, a bench. And then a set of bands. Yeah. I think if you got all that, you're fine. Now, if you want to add in more, I would say, I'll oh, get a weight vest, get some parallel bars for dips and push-ups, get, uh, get like an ab wheel, get some kettlebells for swings. Like I could add a million things in there. I mean, in my garage, I had squat rack with plates and uh, adjustable plates and bar. I had adjustable dumbbells. I had a bench that incline decline. I had an assault bike, I had a rower, I had a pull-up bar, I had a TRX, and I had a bunch of bands. It's quite a bit of shit in there. Yeah. And I had kettlebells, and I had parallel bars, weight vests, like a lot. And then eventually I got that single cable tower. Yeah. Um, Did it break? It's kind of broken. I mean, you could... Is it still there? It, it is still there. It <laughs> works. We're going to get rid of it. Um, definitely not putting it in here. No. But, I mean, that was that was a lot of stuff in, in that little garage. So, but you said... If money's not an issue. No. If money's not an issue. If it is. If it is, I would go uh, – I my first option would always be as many dumbbells as I can get. Yeah. Because you can do so many different things with dumbbells. That's my favorite tool in the gym personally. Um, I use those more than anything. So I would go with dumbbells first. Then I would go with the bench. Then I would go with squat rack and barbell in that order. There you go. You know. Cool. I'll keep you from rapid fire right there. Um, what would – oh, from uh, from Miles and Peaches. What would – be the consequence of not taking as long as of rest in between sets? Uh, performance drops. So Injury? Yeah. I mean, yeah, injury would be there too. That's a good point. Um, for the most part, what we know in literature is like if you're lifting really heavy for strength, taking less rest period is going to increase injury risk and it's going to decrease performance. So Increase fatigue. Increase fatigue, which decreases performance. So you, which causes injury. Exactly. 100%. Yeah. It's all linked. Um, for, for hypertrophy, it's uh, uh, increase in fatigue specifically like localized to the muscle because you have more lactate uh, accumulation and stuff like that, which is going to make it harder to perform the max amount of reps that you can with that weight. So you're going to have to either lower reps volume or lower load intensity, and then that's going to lead to less hypertrophy over time. So basically taking too little rest essentially just limits your ability to build strength or muscle, and it increases your risk of injury. Um, the only time I like having specific rest periods and being like, hey, we're going to keep this on schedule is a in conditioning sessions because we're going for a completely different thing we're trying to improve our metabolic capacity so we need to time rest periods accordingly um or b when i was a personal trainer and i had to make sure people were going through and getting in and out on time but yeah i don't there's there's no real benefit to making them faster in my opinion two to five minutes between sets is best there we go that's not quiet um next question is from caddy 
Zolch. Uh, after a four-week cut, should I go straight into a maintenance or reverse? Uh, straight into maintenance. Why? I don't think you should do a cut for four weeks. That's like so small. If it's a mini cut, I guess like you're just like, quote unquote, tightening up for a vacation or something. Just go right back to maintenance. Four weeks isn't enough to really create any metabolic adaptation. Um, I mean, we do it all the time with people. Four weeks on, two weeks off. Four weeks on, two weeks off. You know what I mean? Um, you could, you could go like just below maintenance just to make sure you don't gain weight afterwards. Uh, because if you do lose, let's say you did a four week diet and you lost two pounds a week, it's eight pounds. Your metabolism probably did slow down because you're eight pounds lighter. You don't need as much calories to, to sustain your body. So you might need to factor that in and drop calories a little bit below maintenance, but I definitely wouldn't drag out a reverse diet process on such a short diet. I'm not a big fan of, of slow, dragged-out reverses. I'd much rather get somebody's calories up as soon as possible to make them feel better. Yeah. All right, last question is uh, from Tristan Winters. How do you decide which periodization method to use with your clients? <laughs> I don't know if that's a rapid-fire question. No, I didn't think um, so it depends. I, I mean, it depends. Are we talking nutrition or training? You know, um, For nutrition, we'll start there. <laughs> Um, we, we have a framework. I will try to kind of keep this concise. We have a framework, uh, a three phase system, and no matter what people are falling into that, those systems and those systems can re be repeated over time. So we can go through the three phases and then go back through them, back through them, back through them. Um, or we can go through phase one and two and then back to one, back to two, back to one, back to two, and then eventually get to three because of the way we built these systems. Um, within that, I determine how long each individual needs to stay within that system uh, based on their dieting history, based on their goals, based on how big of a deficit we're going to end up going into or, or so on and so forth, their current body mass. Um, and then within that, I decide a periodization strategy for their calories based on their goal and their level of adherence. And sometimes um, I guess you could say like your hormonal vulnerability. If I've, if I have somebody who I'm more cautious about having hormonal adaptations or issues during a diet, then I'm more likely to take a specific approach with diet breaks and, and stuff like that. If I have somebody that I'm less worried about it, I might take less diet breaks, sure. but essentially it's going to come down to adherence. I don't think like a five, two versus a 10, three versus a two weeks on one week off or three weeks on two weeks off. I don't think any of those strategies are, are better than one another. They all accomplish the same thing, which is a deficit plus refeeds. I think that everybody's adherence is different and what motivates people to continue is different. So if somebody needs consistent, fast progress in order to see better results, I might wait longer before giving a diet break because I want to make sure that they lose a few pounds before I tell them to eat more because I want them to get that initial motivation. Um, so it really depends, but there's, there's, we kind of have a system of going through the phases and then the timelines and then the adherence strategies. Uh, and it, it and we literally piece it together like that. And then for training, I mean, it depends on how serious their goal is. If it's most of the people that come to us for training are, are looking for body composition, so I'm most likely doing exactly what I said earlier with the hypertrophy and fat loss question. If it's fat loss, I'm changing things more frequently. If it's muscle growth, I'm changing things less frequently. Um, no matter what, the compounds are almost always going to be just a typical linear block periodization where uh, load increases over time, usually meaning volume decreases over time, and then we cycle back. I like a double progression method for isolation work. So if we're doing dumbbell lateral raises, I like to go 12 to 15 reps and you pick a weight that you can do three sets of 12 and we want to do this until you can get three sets of 15 with it. Same way over weeks, but you build reps and then you get stronger at the movement. And then we go back to three sets of 12 at a heavier weight. Yeah. And then we start that process again. Um, and I think that's a really good way to do it. Um, but yeah, that's typically it. I mean, the times the periodization gets really confusing is when it's like an athlete or they're doing multiple Specialty. things, any time a spe special situation. But for typical body composition, I think having a really simplified way of periodizing, periodizing is probably best. Um, and the way to do that is to over time have a linear progression for their compound lift. So, you know, they're getting stronger at the, the, the fundamentals, the fundamental movement patterns um, and making sure that you have a uh, undulation in every week, meaning if I'm doing a uh, horizontal press, I'm not just doing horizontal presses in the 10 to 15 rep range. Yeah. I'm doing some in the 4 to 8 and some in the 10 to 15. So I'm doing a little bit higher up, a little bit lower up. You're getting multiple intensities and energy systems worked. Uh, and then, yeah, and then you just keep cycling that. Because instead of me going, I'm going to start with 10 reps and eventually after weeks, I'm going to slowly get to 5 reps. I'm going to do some 5 reps on one day. I'm going to do some 10 reps on one day. And I'm going to hit both aspects of it and build over time. Like Monday, I do 4 sets of 5 bench press. Uh, Thursday I do four sets of eight to 10 incline press. 
So still same muscle group, same movement pattern. It's just different rep ranges, different loads, different focus. Yep. Right. Um, and now I don't have to wait six weeks before I get to hit those higher rep ranges. I'm doing them all every fucking week. It's going to be more beneficial that way. Um, but yeah, that's, that's about as concise as I can give it without like specific details of what the client needs. Yeah. Before I let you go, I just want to say thanks. I seriously appreciate you spending this last hour or so with me, educating yourself to get better results. It still humbles me to this day that people around the world literally have me in their headphones or their speakers just to learn. It's so empowering, and because of that, I have three quick things for you. The first one is a personal favor. Please leave me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. When you do this, not only does it help me learn and get better at making podcasts for you to get better results, but it helps us grow inside of iTunes, which allows us to invest more, again, to get you better results. The second thing. Head over to boomboomperformance.com slash sign dash up or click the link in the show notes to get your free copy of the nutrition hierarchy. This is everything you need to know about nutrition to change your body composition or performance inside of a manual. I take the leading evidence inside of research and all the principles, methods, and tools based on some of the top professionals in the industry, and I put them all in a book so you can learn more about your nutrition and get better results. The third thing, this is a personal invitation to shoot me a DM on Instagram or email me at Cody at BoomBoomPerformance.com. I will help you troubleshoot anything you need. This is literally an invitation to jump in my inbox and ask me anything you want and let me help you. All right, guys, that's all I got for you this time. I appreciate you being here and I'll see you next time.